every single Friday night when I was growing up, we would go to the video store. And my brother, sister, and I would run to the aisle, whether it was action or was it, whether it was children. We would always pick out our own movie that we would wait in line. Our parents would rent it, and we'd get home, and, and we'd run to the VCR. The first thing we'd do is we'd look at our VCR, which, which was always blinking 12 for some odd reason, and we'd put that VHS cassette in the VCR. Then we'd make sure that the TV channel was on 03 or 04. Give me, give me an amen if that was you. And we would fast forward through the previews or the trailers, and we'd watch that movie all the way through. And at the very end of the movie, we had a choice. The choice was, do we eject that from the VCR, put it back in its case, and deliver it to the movie store tomorrow? Or do we be kind, rewind? I don't know what you guys did. I always look forward to our Friday night trip to the video store. And, and here's what we're going to be doing throughout this VHS sermon series. Okay, Jesus spoke in parables, right? Parables were short stories, and they were tended to be taken from everyday life, and they were there to illustrate spiritual ideas. He was trying to teach them about God. He was trying to teach them about the kingdom of God, his will for their lives. And what we're going to be doing throughout this sermon series is we're using old movies as parables or illustrations of the things that Jesus taught. And in 1985, the top rental video was none other than The Karate Kid. Now, if you grew up in the 1980s, you had to have tried the famous crane kick on either your brother or a kid from the neighborhood. Uh, the Karate Kid is, be, became an instant classic. And even now, there's a reboot uh, on the internet called uh, Cobra Kai. came out a couple of years ago. You can find it online. Now, I hope that you have all watched The Karate Kid. And if not, I just want to let you know there will be some spoilers. Okay, but the movie is 36 years old, so you've had time. Uh, it was released in 1984, and it's the classic underdog story, okay? It follows the story of a teenager named Daniel LaRusso, played by Ralph Macchio, as he tries to fight back against bullies of the Cobra Kai Karate Dojo. And after being attacked by the students, Daniel's shocked to find himself saved by his apartment uh, building's maintenance man, a kind old man named Miyagi. Miyagi takes Daniel under his wing to teach him the discipline of karate so that Daniel can face his enemies in the upcoming tournament coming up later on that month. Now, Mr. Miyagi has never taught karate to anyone before. And before Daniel's training begins, Miyagi makes a deal with him. He says, I will be teacher, you will be learner, and you will not question me. Daniel agrees. But he doesn't quite understand what he's signing up for, right? Because the very next thing that Miyagi tells Daniel to do is wash and wax the seven cars that are in his uh, lawn that are covered in dirt, soot, mud. And Daniel does it without question. And Miyagi shows him exactly how he wants him to wax these cars. Wax on right hand, wax off left hand. Then the next day, Daniel comes back, eagerly awaiting his karate training. And Miyagi has him sand this, this massive deck in his backyard. Right the circle, left the circle. And then, the next day, Daniel, he asked Daniel to, to paint the fence. To breathe in, breathe out, up, down. 
Big boards, right hand. Small boards, left hand. Up, down. Takes them all day and even into the night to paint the front and the back of the fence. And Daniel is, he's certainly perturbed, okay? But he, he's still not complaining. He doesn't question Miyagi. Surely the real karate training will happen soon. So next morning, Daniel shows up at 6 a.m. And Miyagi must have known Daniel's getting to the end of his rope because there's a note on the door saying to paint the house and Miyagi's nowhere to be found. He says, don't use up and down strokes, this time side to side. Right hand, left hand. And Daniel reluctantly paints the house. It takes all day. And just as he finishes, Mr. Miyagi comes home from a full day of fishing. And Daniel, he just loses it. It's obvious that Mr. Miyagi is just using Daniel as free labor to do unwanted chores around the house. He's not teaching Daniel karate. But things are not as they seem. This past week, my six-year-old son, Dex, said to me, he said, Dad, I don't really like exterminators. And I go, well, why, Dex? Why don't you like exterminators? I, I think they're really nice people. He says, they're not nice. They go to people's houses and they kill all their pets. And I go, they what? He goes, yeah, they get rid of all the pets in the house. And I go, oh, I see what's going on here, okay? Well, Dex, they don't get rid of pets. They get rid of pests, okay? There's another S in there. Pests are like bugs and spiders. That's what they kill. They don't kill anybody's pet animals. And he goes, oh, well, well, I like them too then. My son legit thought that exterminators go into people's houses to murder their animals, okay? Now, my house, we don't have a whole lot of pets. We, we have a pet fish named Penny who lives in Dex's room. And so can you imagine the fear uh, of a six-year-old who thinks that exterminators only go into people's houses to go upstairs to kill the pet that lives in your room. That's terrifying. But things are not what they seem. And back to our movie, Daniel, Daniel's had enough. So check out this clip as Mr. Miyagi comes home from his fishing trip. Uh, you learned plenty. I learned plenty. I learned how to sand your decks, maybe. I wash your car, paint your house, paint your fence. I learned plenty, right? Uh, not everything is as seen. I'm going home, man. Daniel-san. Daniel-san. What? Come here. Show me sand floor. Sand floor. Sand floor. Big soccer, sand floor. Sand floor. Now show me wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Concentrate. Look my eye. Lock a hand. Thumb inside. Wax on, hat. Wax off, hat. Wax on, hat. Wax off. Wax on, wax off. Show me paint a fence, up, down, up, down. Show me paint a house, side, side. Show me wax on, wax off. Yes! Yes! 
Show me pen to fence. Hush! Hush! Yes! Yes! Show me side to side. Yes! 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 Show me sand of floor. Hush! 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 Things are not as they seem. Ain't that the truth, Mr. Miyagi? Things are not what they seem. Check out this passage in Romans 5. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Did you know that? Did you know that suffering produces perseverance? Did you know that perseverance produces character? Did you know that character produces hope? Does anybody need to hear that today? Is there anybody going through some suffering? I want you to know that things are not as they seem. Because suffering produces perseverance. And you are persevering. The season is hard. And it feels like you're, you're breaking your back. You may not be waxing all those cars, but you're caring for your kids full time. You may not be sanding the deck, but you're staying up late and waking up early to make sure that your work is done and that your family remains the top priority. You may not be painting a fence, but you're missing out on so many things that you used to love to do because there's this global pandemic that is ravaging our world. Haven't you heard? Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Who knew that a letter written 2,000 years ago would speak to my soul in such a way. And who knew that a movie that I saw when I was five years old would speak to my soul in such a way. Things are not as they seem. And Daniel here discovers what the master has known all along, that this skill comes from repeating the correct but seemingly mundane actions. Let me repeat that. Skill comes from repeating the correct but seemingly mundane actions. We have to keep making the right decisions. We have to keep making the loving decisions. But it's difficult. But when we have been disciplined in the ways of Jesus, in the ways of righteousness, if we, if we have been disciplined in the ways of love, our suffering can be our glory, as Paul says in Romans 5. Now Paul says it a different way, in an even more personal way, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's this thorn in Paul's flesh. He says it's a messenger of Satan. It's tormenting him. And he pleads with God, take it away, take it away. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, there are a lot of questions surrounding this text. Most prevalent, what is this thorn? Okay, the word here is scallops, and it means a pail, a piece of wood, a stake, uh, a splinter, and it's tormenting him. Uh, it means this word torment is to strike with your fist, to give one blow with a fist, to maltreat with violence. Other translations say it's pounding away at me. It's stabbing away at me. Now, most scholars believe that this is not an actual splinter or an actual thorn in his side. No, it's, it's something else. It's a metaphor for something. But for what? What was this thorn? Now, there are lots of theories. Here's three. I'm just going to kind of rattle them off pretty fast here. Here's three th things that this thorn could be representing in Paul's life. Number one, it could be the persecution of other people. The Jewish people are persecuting Paul. They want to kill him. He's been arrested numerous times. Uh, he's been beaten. He's been lashed. Uh, he's been put in prison. So this thorn is the constant ridicule and persecution he gets from his own people. In fact, in the law, in Numbers chapter 33, thorns are used as a metaphor for the enemies of Israel. So this is quite possible. In this scenario, Paul is asking that these negative voices, that these people who keep trying to bring him down, that God would deliver him, him from them. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. The second reason uh, or thing that this thorn that could be is an illness of some sort. An illness. A case can be made that, that Paul um, had difficulty seeing. That it could be an eye disease or he could be going blind. Uh, we find out in Romans that Paul actually didn't handwrite most of his letters that he used to scribe. That he would articulate it and the scribe himself would write it down. Other times we see Paul adding a salutation by his own hand. He says, I, Paul, write this ending with my own hand. Galatians 6 says that Paul wrote in large print. In another example uh, of Paul's perhaps poor eyesight is in Acts 23. Paul is in the Sanhedrin, and he has referred to the high priest as a whitewashed wall. It was an insult. And those who stood by Paul asked him why he would insult the high priest who was standing there. Paul said, I didn't realize that the man was the high priest. Now, Paul was a Pharisee. He would have been able to recognize the high priest like that. Uh, secondly, the high priest would have stood out because he wore special garments and accessories. And so Paul doesn't even notice. So perhaps he's saying, God, take away, give me sight again. I want to be able to see. Heal me of this infirmity. And he pleads with God and he pleads with God. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And the third could be Paul's physical appearance, namely his height. 
This is called the tiny Paul theory. The name Paul, it's actually not a name at all. In Greek, it means small or little. His original name was Saul. There's this scroll in a painting found near Milan. And the scrolls belong to a poor farmer who kept a sporadic journal. But he describes traveling to Ephesus to see the great speaker Paul, this follower of Jesus they call the Christ. And the writer was shocked when a man no taller than a child entered the room. He climbed onto a table and began to exhort us to do good works and to explain the gospel. I have depicted his size on this rock. And here's that rock. And the drawing date is around 50 or 60 AD during the time of Paul's life. Second missionary journey, perhaps. So the question is, was Paul perhaps a little person? Was this thorn Paul's way of, was him saying, this thorn that I have, was it his own height? Was it the ridicule that he endured for years? Asking the Lord to take it away. Asking the Lord every day that he could look maybe like everybody else. And what was God's response? His response was the same. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. The truth is, we don't know what this thorn was for Paul. Whatever it was, I believe that the Holy Spirit left it vague so that we would fill in the blanks of our own lives, right? That we too have these thorns in our lives that we have pleaded with God to get rid of. And God says to us what he said to Paul 2,000 years ago, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What is your thorn? What is tormenting, haunting, hurting you? Regardless, God's grace is sufficient. Now the movie, The Karate Kid, it ends at the karate tournament. The Cobra Kai dojo does whatever they can to cheat and hurt Danny LaRusso. Sweep the leg. But Danny finds his way into the finals against his Cobra Kai rival, Johnny Lawrence. And Danny is wounded. His leg is in terrible condition because of the wrong that was done to him. But his wound becomes his strength in this final scene. Check it out. Okay? Yeah, okay. Take 
And that's how the movie ends. With Mr. Miyagi smiling with great pride and great love for Daniel. Daniel's wound, his injury, his suffering became the catalyst for his victory. That can be true for you as well. Because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. I'll close our time with this quote by Philip Brooks. He says, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then doing good in your world shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself at the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen.